Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for the third Sunday of Easter, that's April 18, 2021. Ignorance seems to be a common malady for most human beings. Sometimes that's, uh, ignorance is deliberate. Other times it's accidental uh, due to a lack of experience in a particular area. More frequently, however, the ignorance is the result of clinging to preconceived notions of what should be or something of that nature, and a refusal to let go of those preconceived notions. In these readings, we're called to get rid of whatever is inhibiting our belief in God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what he tells us either directly or through those whom he has chosen as his servants. Perhaps the greater challenge is to be one who believes and then acts consistently in accordance with those beliefs. I'm going to start with the gospel today. This is the part of the account from Luke when he appears to the apostles uh, on Easter Sunday night, that first Easter Sunday night. We're going to begin with the last verse from the uh, encounter he had with the, the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 35 to 48. But we're going to go back and review talk a little bit about that road to Emmaus as well. And uh, this accompanies the reading that we had a week or two ago, where in John chapter 19 verses, uh, pardon me, John chapter 20 verses 19 through 33. Uh, it says, the two disciples recounted what had taken place on the way and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, the, the note in the Jerusalem Bible on that tells us that uh, breaking of the bread was a, a way that the early disciples, particularly Luke and John, talked about the Eucharist. So Jesus celebrated the Eucharist with them, just as he did with the apostles on that first Holy, uh, that first Holy Thursday. So here he is, he's doing that. And so they, they, they had an opportunity to realize who he was earlier, but they didn't. And What, what does that mean for us? It means that we have opportunities as well to recognize Jesus. And do we finally see something that allows us to recognize him in our lives? And he says, while they were speaking about this, he stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. Here again, as we had in that account in John, he's saying, shalom, peace be with you. We see that and they're frightened. He says, they were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. What would you think if you were in a locked room and all of a sudden an appearance came to you through the door, as Jesus did through this locked door? And so he's doing all that, and we don't understand exactly why he's doing it, do we? They thought that then he said to them, why are you troubled? Why are you agitated? Why do these questions arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones. As you can see, I have. So obviously, in his glorified body, they could tell that it was a human being, even though that human being had come through the door. 
but they couldn't they couldn't reconcile in their minds what had happened they could not reconcile that Jesus had told them that he was going to rise from the dead on the third day they it was totally outside of their realm of comprehension out of what they thought could possibly happen and when we're dealing with God so frequently and we see it in the scriptures all the time we don't necessarily know what's going to happen. God's not going to tell us, but he surprises the people that, are it, that he deals with. He surprised Moses with the burning bush. He surprised Jonah uh, by spitting him up from the whale. He surprised just about everybody. He surprised uh, Samuel when Samuel was sleeping in the temple and God called his name and spoke to him. He surprised Isaiah when Isaiah had the vision in the temple. He, he's a continually a God of surprises. And so we get that, that he has no, he looks like a human being, but somehow they still don't recognize him. There's something about him that doesn't quite go with what they think they should be seeing. And as he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Why? Because they needed to see the nail holes. While they were still incredulous for joy and were amazed, he asked them, have you anything to eat? That's, that's very important because the readings today that we have, we, we're going to have two readings that Luke wrote. We're reading his gospel account now. In a few minutes, we'll read uh, the book of Acts, which he wrote. And the note in the Jerusalem Bible says that he was writing for the Greeks. So he's not writing for the Hebrew, Hebrew speakers. He is writing for the Greeks. And he says, he was writing for the Greeks who scoffed at the idea of bodily rec rec pardon me, resurrection. Luke underlines the physical reality of Christ's risen body. Would a ghost eat something? So they gave him a piece of baked fish. He took it and ate it in front of them. Now let's take a look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. And this is where, uh, this is uh, with the centurion who's come to him to ask to have his servant healed. And he says, you don't have to come to my house. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and it will be done unto me. And what Jesus says, when, when he heard this, from the centurion, he was astonished and said to those following him, In truth, I tell you that no one in Israel, nowhere in Israel have I found faith as great as this. Jesus comes to us. He continues to test our faith to see whether we are willing and able to go do what he's calling us to do. The note in the Jerusalem Bible on this, it talks a lot about a lot of things. I'm going to try to summarize it a little bit. The faith that Jesus asked for from the outset of his public life, beginning in Mark 1.15, and throughout his subsequent career, is the act of trust and self-abandonment, by which people no longer rely on their own strength and policies, but commit themselves to the power and the guiding word in whom they believe. And it goes on. It gives a lot of notes. There. Again, it's saying, don't be encumbered by the past. Uh, in Isaiah 55, I think it's eight verses eight and nine, it says, no need to recall the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. He, there he's addressing the people who are going to be coming back from Babylon 
And he's saying that this journey through the desert from captivity to the promised land is not going to be the same as the journey through the desert from captivity that we read about in Exodus through Deuteronomy. And so we're looking at that. And we, sometimes we say God, God did this, that, and the other thing in the past, and that's what he's, that's, he's bound to do that in the future. We can't put bounds on what God is planning to do. And so we, we need to know that. And then we can look again in John chapter 21, verses 5 and 12 through 13. And that is on the beach where uh, Jesus ate the breakfast with the disciples after they'd been fishing. So we need to understand that. We need to understand what it is that God is calling us to do. Excuse me. He said, then in down at in the right before this, when he's talking to the peop, the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they said, "We don't understand what's going on because our our this our leader." Our rabbi has been killed, and we thought he was the one who was supposed to liberate Israel. And he says to them, You foolish men, so slow to believe. All that the prophets had said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer before entering into his glory? Then he started with Moses and going through the prophets, explained to them the passages of Scripture about himself. So he opened their eyes here, it says, and they opened their minds to understand the scriptures. When we see scriptures in the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses for all things. And it's very much like what we see in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. Go out into the whole world, proclaim the gospel. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. So let's let's go back here. It talks about repentance. And remember that re- repentance is that thing that we, you turn around from where you are. You change your mind. And when you change your mind, you change your thoughts, words, and actions. So... But he says, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what are we going to do with that? What does that mean to us? Doesn't it mean that each day we will find something else of which we need to repent, that we need to change? Jesus tells us in Matthew 8, 548, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And as we've talked about in the past, that perfection is a process. It's not a destination. It's a continual process. It's a correcting process, like a, a, uh, 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 item going through space that has continual course corrections, or a, a plane that's flying, say, from New York to Los Angeles. There are course corrections along the way to make sure they get where they need to be. And with that, let's look at the first reading. It's from Acts. This, again, is Peter speaking after the... Uh, First Pentecost. And this one is just filled with a lot of references that that may take us a while to get through. Peter said to the people, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Okay, let's go back to Exodus chapter 3. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush and he was told to take off his sandals and come not to come forward? And he said, Moses asked him who he was. And he says, I am the God of your ancestors, he said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, it's interesting to me, <coughs> excuse me, that he talks about the God of Jacob rather than Israel. So uh, we need to look at that and examine why that is. It's because Jacob is the unredeemed. So he's, he's the God of of the fa all the fathers, but Jacob is the unredeemed name. Uh, Israel is after had, he had his experience with God at the ladder in the desert. So God, he's that God. And then back down a little bit farther, he, God said to Moses, I am who is. And he said, this is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God further said to Moses, you are to tell the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name for all time, and this I am to be invoked for all generations to come. It's important that we understand here that, that, this, that there are people in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and, and uh, Peter is talking to them. So it's important that he's saying this is, this is who it is. And it's also uh, that in the servant business, as Christians see in Jesus, the mysterious servant of Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, 12. His, so if, let's just look at Isaiah 53, 12. And it says, look, my servant will prosper, will grow great and rise to great heights. This is the Messiah. Jesus is this Messiah that's promised in these scriptures. Again, talking about what Jesus, what we saw in the gospel. Peter is referring them to the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. He says, he talks about the glorified servant, his servant Jesus. I know where was he glorified? He was glorified on the cross. Whom you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence when he decided to release him. Isn't it interesting that Peter, who denied him three times in the high priest's garden, talks about the people denying him? So let's take a look back about what Peter is talking about here. He's talking about before Pilate. And that's Luke 23, verses 18 through 23. It says, But as one man they howled, Away with him! Give us Barabbas! This man had been thrown into prison because of a riot in the city and a murderer. And his desire to set Jesus free, Pilate addressed them again, but they shouted back, Crucify him! Crucify him! And for the third time he spoke to them, But what harm has this man done? I have found no cause against him that he deserves death. So I shall have him flogged and let him go. But they kept on shouting at the top of their voices, demanding that he should be crucified, and their shouts kept growing louder. What happened? The people rejected Jesus through their leaders. Their leaders were instigating them. And it says, <clears throat> he asked the murderer to be released for you. 
You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked that the murderer be released to you. The author of life you put to death. We, we know that from uh, first part of Genesis where it says that God said the word. This is the word of God that we're talking about here, that Peter's talking about. And also in, in John chapter 1, verse 1, since the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. No, nothing that came to be came to be except through him. And we need to understand that. It's, but again, Jesus talked about himself in a, in a real sense. He says in John chapter six, 14, verse 6, the first part says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the life. He is the author, not only the author of life, but he is the life itself. And we need to understand that, that that's who he is. The author of life you put to death, but God raised him from the dead. Of this, we are his witnesses. Peter is telling the people, we saw Jesus, the risen Jesus. We saw him in that upper room. He came to us and told us who he was. He allowed us to examine him, to know that it really was Jesus, and Jesus was alive. It says, now I know, brothers, that you acted out of ignorance just as your leaders did. So their ignorance was this wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. And if he didn't conform to their preconceived notions of what the Messiah should look like, then obviously this, was the, this wasn't the Messiah. And so we can look at that. Uh, And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, where Paul talks about this same type of thing. He says, it is of the mysterious wisdom of God that we talk, the wisdom that was hidden, which God predestined to be for the glory, our glory before the ages began. None of the rulers of the age recognized it, for if they had recognized it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Those who thought themselves wise were foolish, they were depending upon something other than what God had in mind for them. And we need to be very aware that that happens in our own lives. And what, what we need to understand is that we aren't the ones who necessarily should be doing what we're doing. We should be open our minds and our hearts to God. Not that we should be foolish, not that we should not be discerning, not that we shouldn't seek the, the counsel of those who are wiser than us in spiritual things, but we need to be open to what God may be doing in our lives and what he's saying to us and what is the meaning of the events that are happening in our lives and the lives of those around us. But God has thus brought to fulfillment what he announced beforehand through the mouth of the prophets. Again, talking about Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, prophets that the his Christ would suffer. Now, key verse, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be washed away. In the Jerusalem Bible, there's a note there uh, that is uh, note in, and it says, by repentance, a person comes back to God, that turning around. The Gentiles must return to God by forsaking idols, the Jews must return to the Lord by acknowledging Jesus as the Lord, as Lord. What are the idols in your life? What are the idols in my life? 
do I recognize Jesus as Lord of my life? Or do I want to be Lord of my life? Or am I allowing something in the, from the world, the flesh or the devil to be Lord of my life? We need to go there and see what it is that we need to be doing. The Psalm, let's look at the response also. It's verse chapter four, or Psalm four, and random verses. And it, 7a is the, uh, is the response. It's, Lord, let your light, light shine, your face shine on us. If we look at uh, Psalm 80, verses 3, 7, and 19 have, in one form or another, this same thing. They have God Sabaoth, bring us back, let your face shine on us, and we shall be saved. Lord, let your face, face smile upon us, and we shall be saved. We shall be rescued. God's face, you know, remember when God, when Moses faced God at uh, of the Ten Commandments, he came down and his face glowed from the light that he received from God. God's light shining in our lives are going to help us to understand who we are, who God created us to be, and perhaps, hopefully, give us the motivation to approach that as best as we can. God. Bring us back. Help us to repent. Let your face shine on us, and we shall be saved. We shall be saved from ourselves. We shall be saved from the world, from the flesh, from the devil. And we need to understand that, what we need to be doing. The other thing, scripture that comes in this, and Jesus told us this in John chapter 8, verse 12, says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will not be walking in the dark, but will have the light of life. So let's look at the second reading. Uh, we probably won't have time to do it all, but we'll, we'll try to get through. My children, I am writing to you so that you may not commit sin. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 says, no, no one who remains in him, in Jesus, sins, and whoever sins has ne neither seen nor recognized him. So John's talking about that. And then he goes on to say, so it's saying that we, we shouldn't be sinning. But he goes on to say, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, who did Jesus Christ sin? In John chapter 14, verse 26, says, but the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I said to you. And again, in chapter 14, verses 16, I shall ask the Father and he will give you another paraclete, advocate, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world can never accept. It neither sees nor knows him, but you know him because you've known me, because he is in you. God's going to give us someone to be able to fight the battles. He's given us someone to fight the battles. He goes on, he is the expiation for your sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is the revelation of God's love for us, that God sent his son into the world, that we might have life through him. Love consists in this, not that we love who love God, but God who loved us. We need to be aware that it's God loved us first. It's not, our, it's not all about us. It's about God. Our love for God is a reflection, supposedly, supposed to be a reflection of God's love for us. So we need to be very aware of that. Not for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Let's go back to Acts chapter 3, verses 24 and 20 to 26. 
In fact, the prophets have spoken from Samuel on, that in those days you were the heirs of the prophets of the covenant that God made with your ancestors when he told Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in your descendants. It was for you in the first place that God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you as everyone of you turns from his wicked ways. Every one of you repents. Jesus came so that we should see the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and turn to him and turn to the light and to follow him. And if we follow him, that means we have a cross that we're going to have to carry every day. It says, though the way we may be sure that we know him is to keep his commandments. I, John chapter 13, verse 15 says, I have given you an example so that you may copy what I have done. And again, in 1334, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. You, uh, you must love one another as I have loved you. And he tells us in John chapter 15, verses 10 to 13, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my own joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. No one can have greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. This is what we're called to. One more scripture. It says, Though those who say, I know him, but do not keep his commandments are liars, and the truth is not in them. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God is perfected in him. One last scripture reference. Anyone, this is 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 to 21. Anyone who says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar, since whoever does not love the brother whom he can see cannot love God whom he has not seen. Indeed, this is a commandment we have received from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you believe this? Do you believe what's written in these readings? Do you really believe it? Are you sure? If we genuinely believe what these readings tell us, we will repent. We will think, speak, and act differently from what we do today. And tomorrow we'll act, think, speak, and act differently than we did today. And the next day it'll be the same thing and the same thing and the same thing until we are turned into his likeness. We will, we will want to leave behind what is hindering our progress toward holiness, or as Matthew Kelly tells us, becoming the best version of ourselves. And that's being, coming whom God, whoever it is that God created you to be. I don't know who that is. Sometimes I don't even know who that is for me. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. And hopefully we'll talk to each other again next week.